This episode is sponsored by Code Health. Code connects healthcare providers to the largest community of medical coding professionals in the country with over 4,600 domestic certified coders. As a single stop for all coding needs, Code's on-demand model has solved for daily staffing challenges and coding inefficiencies by allowing providers to access the right coder at the right time while gaining insights to better manage their coding operations. To learn more about Code, visit CodeHealth.com, that's K-O-D-E Health.com, or email Code directly at partnerships at CodeHealth.com. Recently, I went out to dinner with my family. The server, noting our two bouncy preschoolers and smiling baby, shared that she had five children, then went on to say that the previous weekend, three had been in separate car accidents. All were physically okay, but the damage to their vehicles varied. Two had minor damage, and one was totaled. The owner of the car that was totaled had recently decided that her car insurance was too expensive and took her coverage to liability only, which meant she received nothing for her destroyed vehicle. Healthcare finance leaders make decisions every day about how to spend their money. In some cases, those decisions mean making difficult choices about what level of risk is acceptable. One area that can be difficult to navigate, but costly if efforts fail, is the security of patients' medical and financial information. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Erica Grotto. Today on Voices in Healthcare Finance, we're talking about cybersecurity, the growing risk, the financial ramifications, and what healthcare organizations can do to protect themselves and their patients. In our Fast Five segment, we'll talk about the top five types of information hackers want from hospitals and health systems. All that's coming up right after the news. This is Rich Daly, Senior Writer and Editor for HFMA, with your Healthcare Finance News Update. Hospital advocates are increasingly voicing opposition to various Medicare expansion proposals over concerns about their adverse financial impacts. For instance, Rick Pollack, President and CEO of the American Hospital Association, recently warned that hospitals are already paid far less than the cost of caring for Medicare patients. Additionally, more patients with Medicare would strain hospitals even more and could threaten hospital survival. In other news, Alex Azar, Secretary of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, recently identified reductions in the years-old Medicare appeals backlog. For instance, the Office of Medicare Hearings and Appeals eliminated more than 224,000 appeals from its backlog in FY18. However, more than 417,000 appeals still remain pending there. And finally, hospital advocates recently identified specific components Congress should include in legislation aimed at surprise medical bills. Those components include preserving health plan and provider negotiation, but removing patients from them. Some experts say an arbitration-focused approach appears most popular at this point in Congress. For more details on these and other healthcare finance news, check out our daily news page at hfma.org forward slash news. Unlock practical industry resources by joining HFMA. An HFMA membership includes free access to more than 60 live webinars, also available on demand. Plus, gain access to expert regulatory analyses, industry news, live and online learning programs, professional certifications, and more. Explore the value of HFMA membership at hfma.org benefits. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Erica Grotto. Anthem Blue Cross. TRICARE. Advocate Healthcare, Banner Health, 
All of these have the distinction of a place in the top 10 largest cyber attacks on healthcare organizations. And although even the largest attack on the list affected far fewer people than, say, the 2014 attack on Yahoo or the Marriott breach that came to light last year, the threat to the industry is growing because the wealth of information housed in patient records make healthcare organizations a prime target for cyber attacks. In a March 2018 HFM article, Robert E. Anderson Jr. cited a statistic from Crane's Chicago business saying, quote, if breaches of data grow at their current pace, by 2024, every person in the nation will have been affected, end quote. That's a startling statistic. Even when you think about the massive breaches that already have occurred in healthcare, the latest targeting Anthem in late 2014 and early 2015, and affecting more than 79 million people. I wanted to hear more about what happens to a patient after their information is stolen in such a large attack, so I found someone who was affected by the Anthem breach. Here's a bit of our conversation. First of all, I want to say thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Uh, I want to be respectful of your privacy because we are talking about um, a, a data breach and a cyber attack and your information being compromised. So how would you like me to identify you for purposes of this podcast? Um, Eleanor the Excellent. Eleanor the Excellent. Okay. So tell me, are you concerned at all about about this cyber attack and what effect it could have on your credit? Yes. Yeah? So, I, I mean, what are your specific concerns? Um, I don't know. How old are you right now? Four. You're four. So as of this interview in February 2019, you're four years old. So in 2014, you would have been a baby, is that right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So so then as a baby, did you monitor your credit after this attack? Yes. You did? How how did you do that? Um I don't know. If you haven't figured it out already, Eleanor is my daughter. And yes, she really calls herself Eleanor the Excellent. As a parent, I'm concerned that this breach, which took place before she could say her own name, will follow her for the rest of her life. And obviously, she's not alone. Remember that statistic I quoted at the beginning? Every single person in the United States will have been affected by a data breach by 2024. Once it's out there, very hard to put the genie back in the bottle. Kind of what the industry has, has come to by consensus is a credit monitoring system, you know, or identity monitoring for a year, which is, of course, is completely ineffective at stopping anything. It's great at letting you know you've been hit, but it does absolutely nothing to prevent. So really what what the organization can do is educate the, the victims and the patients on, listen, uh, a credit freeze is something that will lock down your credit profile. You can't get at it without a, a, uh, a passcode, and therefore you can't have somebody go out uh, like, like a woman did using my social security number and purchase a house in a different state off of my stolen identity because the credit is frozen until the, the owner unlocks it. It's really letting people know those type of tools much more than it is giving them a, you know, a $10 a month service that actually does nothing to protect them. 
That's John Cilio. He's the CEO of the Cilio Group, a cybersecurity training firm, and he's written and spoken a lot about cybercrime. It's a topic he knows well. A cybercriminal once stole his identity and then embezzled from his company, ruining his business and his reputation in one fell swoop. The costs of a data breach can be huge. The Anthem breach resulted in two record-breaking settlements, $16 million to the federal government and $115 million in a class-action lawsuit. As we said at the beginning of the podcast, healthcare finance leaders have many things competing for budget dollars. But as the risk of cyber attacks grows, more healthcare organizations are making data security a priority. The key, of course, is to prevent attacks from occurring in the first place. I wanted to know how, so I asked a couple of experts, Jerry Blass, CEO of Comply Assistant, and John Gomez, CEO of Sensato Cybersecurity Solutions. The first voice you'll hear after my question is John's. What are the greatest risks to cybersecurity in hospitals and health systems, and what are some best practices that healthcare organizations can, can do as they look to tighten their cybersecurity? That's a, it's a big question because they're this has changed a lot in the past two to three years. Um, I think, you know, in some ways, the, the greatest risks are that um, many hospital organizations don't really understand who they're up against. There are many cases formulating defenses or strategies, cybersecurity defenses or strategies, based on information of who the adversary and who the risks were three to five years ago. Today, what we see is that the adversaries matured and, and, and evolved. We have criminal uh, cybercrime organizations that are uh, recruiting people to come work for them out of, you know, Europe, some of Europe's greatest and best universities. So we're now seeing attackers that have bachelor's in computer science or master's degrees or PhDs um, going to work for cyber criminal organizations. Um, we're seeing now nation states that are going after uh, healthcare organizations here in the states. So the sophistication level has vastly changed in the last two to three years, but in many cases, you know, hospitals are using or still think that they're defending themselves against a script kitty or, you know, a hacker. And, and that's kind of changed, you know. So it, it, it's, it's the greatest risks, I think, are that uh, in many ways we're, we're, you know, as an industry, the healthcare industry, we're not really very clear about the sophistication levels of the attackers that we face. And unfortunately, that translates to the IT department. And basically, they don't have the the tools they need to maybe fend off the latest level of attacks that we see at the latest level of threats. There needs to be executive awareness and mandates. That's Jerry Blass. So executives need to understand the risks and mandate a functional program. It has to come from the top down. So that does require executives becoming aware of the latest information, such as breaches that have occurred, you know, why did they occur, and also be informed from the bottom up as far as the actual status of the program at their organization. So the best way to do that is to have a multidisciplinary governance and oversight committee. There needs to be accountability. And we, you know, usually multidisciplinary means the CFO, legal, compliance, risk, IT, privacy, internal audit, and whoever else they feel should be there. Another thing is the CISO, the Chief Information Security Officer, really should be independent of IT because they need to be able to do unbiased auditing, similar to a financial auditor not being part of finance. And in many cases today, we still see the CISO in IT, and that could lead to um, potential conflict of interest. The other thing is, of course, it all starts with the security risk audits. 
and that is the analysis of threats and controls, the PHI, in all locations, know what needs attention, and also hire an expert to conduct it and deliver the report. Then there needs to be consistent risk mitigation in high risk to low risk order. We need to consider change management from organizational systems and regulations. The workforce comes into play, training and testing on phishing and consistent sanctions for violations. John Cilio advocates for what he calls a culture of security, where everyone in the organization works to keep patient data safe. There's two distinct levels. The first level is the one that most companies skip, and that is getting ownership. So it's it's training staff to care about the data that they're handling every day. And the way that you do that is you link them as individuals, you know, human beings who have smartphones and kids that are on Facebook and profiles online and that they shop on, on Amazon.com. You take those individual personal things that, that all of us want to protect and you bridge them into the corporate. And you, by doing that, you get this, this buy-in, this level of ownership. That's how they start is my first role up there is to get people to care about learning what's next, what they have to do to train and to protect. And then from there, it gets very specific. So the HR department needs to learn about, you know, the most common uh, W-2 scams when somebody's trying to get W-2 forms. And the technical department needs to, to learn about um, hacking and social engineering and how they're going to try and get at patient records and how they uh, compartmentalize those records. Um, so the, the training really is level by level and not, it's not a one size fits all. You, yes, everybody has to learn about, uh, you know, about phishing and about ransomware and those type of detections. But in general, it's more specific by department of what they need to learn. Cybersecurity insurance is important, as is documenting everything the hospital or health system is doing to prevent breaches so the organization can be protected in the event of a breach. But according to John Gomez, that's not enough. Often when Jerry and I present, we try to work hard to snap people back to reality and say, you know, just because you have cyber liability insurance, yeah, it's a good thing to have. It's an important component of your overall strategy, but it only really works if you've got everything going right. So if you're not making the investments in actually truly protecting your organization according to the current threat landscape and today's best practices, you may end up in a situation where, you know, your insurance doesn't pay out at the rate you thought. So if I was a CFO, one of the questions I would probably ask my CIO is, look, I really want to know, bottom line, how secure are we? And is cyber liability going to cover 100% of the breach, or are we just kind of checking the boxes on things and we're going to end up holding, you know, 80% of the of the financial repercussions that may occur? Uh, one thing I often tell people to do at the C-suite level is, hey, go ask your IT security team for a, a report of all attacks against your firewall or how many phishing attacks you guys have had in the last five days. And most people, I think, think, oh, it's one or two attacks, maybe, if, if that. And it's interesting, you know, when we talk to small hospitals, so this number probably scales exponentially with larger hospitals, you know, we go talk to small hospitals at 200, 250 beds, 300 beds. It's not uncommon to see that they have to fend off between twenty and 30,000 attacks a day. And I don't think most C-suite people realize that that's what their IT security team is fending off every day of the year. 
Um, and if so, if something goes wrong, you, you can have a very big issue very quickly. It's clear that the threat of cyber attacks on hospitals and health systems will only get stronger. But John Cilio says there's good news, too, as healthcare organizations become more aware of those threats. I see organizations every day that I go into and when I'm, uh, you know, speaking at conferences that come to me and they talk to me about how they've been proactive about the prevention. And, and there are hospitals out there that have taken this incredibly seriously. I know because I go and I speak to their uh, you know, to their staff two or three times a year. I'm there every year. They're constantly getting updates. They take it that seriously. And when they are breached, and they will still be breached because you can't avoid 100% of it, they will be breached in such a small, insignificant way that it won't make it to the front page of the paper and they won't suffer as much as somebody like Anthem or Hollywood Presbyterian. So most of the stories of, you know, certainly of companies that are taking a proactive look at the human element that, of course, are doing the technological aspect, that are constantly updating what they're doing because the threats change, they're incredibly safe because it's the 98% of organizations that aren't doing that that continue to get hit. The healthcare transformation is gaining velocity. From new startups and mergers to enormous cross-industry partnerships, change is coming. We invite you to be bold, to lead the change. Join us for the HFMA Annual Conference in Orlando this June. Get the tools you need to take action. Learn more at annual.hfma.org. Now it's time for Fast Five, a quick hit list about a trending healthcare topic. Today, five types of information data hackers can get from hospitals, and a few surprising ones at that. The most obvious type of information sought by data hackers is information that might lead to HIPAA violations, such as patient data. Personally identifiable data that is not related to patients, such as employee social security numbers and payroll data. Proprietary research data. This information can be particularly valuable to both criminal and international adversaries bent on stealing intellectual property. Another category of cyber threat involves hackers infiltrating hospital computer systems to commit fraud, such as by misdirecting money intended for employees or vendors. For example, hackers could impersonate, through email, someone with financial authority in the organization and then misdirect pending payments to their own accounts. Perhaps the most frightening type of attack focuses on medical devices. Because nearly every bit of healthcare technology is linked via the internet, malicious individuals can sometimes break into a system and remotely affect the devices. Attacks can range from device-specific attacks to widespread virus-style attacks. Devices may cease to function at best and deliver dangerous therapy at worst. This list came from CFOs Play a Key Role in Cybersecurity Planning, published in HFMA's Strategic Financial Planning Newsletter in the Winter 2019 issue. You can read the article at hfma.org slash fsfp slash cybersecurity. Voices in Healthcare Finance is produced by the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and produced by me, Erica Grotto. Our news segment is written and reported by Rich Daly, and additional reporting this week was by Betty Hinch. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler and Michael Shorva. HFMA's president and CEO is Joe Pfeiffer. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever you listen.